This episode of the Insurance Coffee House is sponsored by Insurance Search. Insurance Search provides executive recruitment services to insurance companies and brokers in the UK and across the United States. Visit insurance-search.com for more details. The Insurance Coffee House, the place where you get to meet and learn from some of the most successful insurance business leaders from across the world. Hosted by Nick Hoadley, CEO of Insurance Search. Welcome to the Insurance Coffee House Global InsureTech Series. I'm Nick Hoadley, and each week you can join me as I interview leading InsureTech executives from around the world. We will be learning about the different InsureTech technologies and finding out how they can be a benefit to both insurance brokers and carriers when it comes to delivering for your customers. We'll also be learning about the different career opportunities available to insurance leaders within the InsureTech space and what benefits that can give to your career. I hope you enjoy the show. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Ty Harris, who is the CEO and co-founder, and Marcella Butler, who is the Chief People Officer at Openly, and Openly are a US-based insurtech. Welcome to the show, guys. Hey, thanks for having us. Thank you so much. Uh, it's a pleasure, guys. Been really looking forward to getting you on the show for quite some time now. It'd be really great if we can just dive straight in with a little bit of background on your careers individually and you know the steps that you've taken along that journey to where you are now. So, Ty, would you mind starting off by sharing with our listeners a little bit more about your background and that journey that led you to starting openly? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and thanks. Yeah. So I, uh, you know, years ago, I went up to Boston for grad school and I was always a pretty quantitative person. So I was in, you know, economics and statistics and that, that kind of thing. Uh, at some point decided the academic life wasn't for me. I like to play a lot of poker at the time. And so it was either like go to Vegas or what else can I do? This may be more productive for the world. And I, insurance was the other natural way to sort of go into, you know, risk taking and that, and that type thing. Um, by, so I was really interested in that. So went, ended up going to Liberty Mutual, uh, you know, right across the river from where I was in school up there. Um, had a 12 and a half year amazing career there. Began as a kind of junior actuarial analyst, which was really the, the way to get your foot in the door in a quantitative sense at the time. Uh, became an actuary and then ultimately, uh, you know, became more of a senior executive. I became the chief product and underwriting officer for their global uh, personal lines of business. That was amazing, but I, I had this kind of itch to to start my own thing, and you know, and and to to do to to really spend a hundred percent of my time building and zero percent of my time defending. So I made a really hard decision in 2017 to leave that and co-found openly. And yeah, we've you know we've we've been at it since then. It took us a couple of years to get to market. We can talk more about that, but it's been it's been openly ever since. It's been amazing. Awesome stuff. Thanks for that, Ty. And Marcella, how's your journey been along the way? And I know obviously you joined the business during the pandemic. How's that been for you? I did join the business during the pandemic. And I've said this before that I feel like this is the best professional decision I have made in years. Um, I started my career uh, not in HR, but as a consultant to or executive in financial services companies, uh, consumer finance. And in 2007, I decided that I no longer wanted to work with Wall Street and um, began a career in people operations at a very large search engine based on the West Coast. So since then, I have focused on people ops. And just personally, I'm really interested in businesses that are at inflection points and helping make the right decisions to 
helped scale a business. So Openly has given me the opportunity to be back in a sector that I really enjoy, as well as have a role that uh, is fantastic. Awesome. And I know we're going to come on to some of those challenges and opportunities later, but I really do think the, the insure tech market gives so many great opportunities for people from all sorts of different backgrounds to really leverage their skills and, and, and help build fast-paced moving businesses. So brilliant. Thanks for that, Marcel. Guys, as we are in the insurance coffee house today, it would be remiss of me if I didn't ask you what your go-to coffee of choice is. I'm a pretty, uh, you know, I, I take this giant espresso with absolutely nothing else and we make it here at home. I'm sure real aficionados would would laugh at how we do it, but it's uh, good enough gets the job done. My, uh, it's usually drunk right after my four and three-year-olds have been like stomping on my face to wake me up in bed. So <laughs> it's, it's fine. Great stuff. And Martella? Yeah. I start my day with a pour over while, um, I am feeding my dogs. The coffee is dripping and that gets me through generally until about 10 when I go make a regular pot of coffee. Awesome I have to awesome. grind my own beans. So yeah. My coffee quality went way up when I discovered I should uh, grind my own. Yeah, that's nice. That's nice. Excellent stuff. You both like a nice strong coffee, so that's great to hear. Ty, would you mind giving our listeners a bit of an overview, a bit of a snapshot where the business is now and what some of the products and services that you have in the offering at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. So we are fundamentally a tech-enabled home insurance company for the US. Uh, So we insure single-family homes, Uh, all over in about 16 states right now and rapidly expanding that. Um, We launched, as I said, the business itself in 2017. It took us roughly two years to actually get to market. So launched in very late 2019. So we've been in market a couple of years, been expanding states. You know, we can talk more about the the strategy, but we we fundamentally, we we sell through these independent agents who are uh, heavy partners in the business with us and have had great success uh, working that way. We are, you know, we are a VC backed company. So we truly are insurance and technology, you know, kind of half and half in terms of the employees of the company. We're roughly kind of a series B, C stage company with about uh, roughly 170 employees. So, you know, we found the product market fit where we're, you know, in true growth mode, we can sort of put it on a spreadsheet and say, if we add this to this part, you know, it'll, it'll keep growing this. But by the same token, there's still a lot of unknowns in the business. It's by no means a done deal. And there's, you know, still lots of opportunity to find new sources of value working at the business. So it's a lot of fun. And you, you said that you founded the business in 2017, but you didn't launch until 2019. What are some of the products and some of the services that you have there and how have you developed them over that period of time? Yeah. So we are essentially a full stack, in some sense, home insurance provider. And what that means is that there's no MVP for our product, right? You can't go to market and say, well, I'm going to do uh, this one aspect of home insurance really well. And don't worry, like you have to, you can't just not have claims for, you know, so we, the the long and short of that is we had to build a lot of stuff from the ground up. So it was the fundamental, the technology that does all the rating and the underwriting and the policy administration. A lot of that technology is some of our greatest IP in a sense and enables us to quote and sell home insurance in a, in a much faster and better way, better coverage, and more predictive prices so that we uh, you know, don't lose money on the underwriting side. But beyond that, you need you know, a service operation, a billing operation, and a claims operation. And by the way, you need reinsurers with you know, $100 billion balance sheets to ultimately absorb the risk that you're writing or you know, to, to backstop it at the very least, because you, know, you, you, you can't you know, raise a $100 billion balance sheet as a serious seed company. So 
it's it took a lot of you know boats kind of floating up together to get to market. And I think that was what's was challenging. And it's it's honestly even part of the challenge right now of scaling the business is making sure those boats boats are sort of floating up at the the same pace as each other, uh, and none, none of them are getting too far ahead of the others. And thank you for that. And in terms of the benefits, then say, but what are the, some of the benefits either to the policyholders or the agencies of you know of insuring their their most prized asset, their most valuable asset with you, as opposed to one of the sort of the traditional homeowners insurance carriers. Yeah. And I'm glad you asked about both agents and policyholders. We really, we consider both of them in our customer set for sure. And so for, for both of them, what they enjoy is our product has better coverage. It is drastically faster and easier to use, and it has more accurate pricing, meaning pricing that's more aligned with the ultimate expected losses. And I'll give you just one kind of microcosm of that. So with most home insurance companies out there, you one of the biggest decisions you make as a customer or an agent for, for a customer is what limit do I want for my home insurance? And you might say, oh, I want, you know, it's a $350,000 limit or 520 or whatever. And that creates a few problems. One is that no one really knows the answer to what it would actually cost if your house burns down, right? You're kind of guessing. If you guess too high, you're paying too much. If you guess too low and your house does burn down, you might be out of luck coverage-wise. The mortgage lender is worried. Are, am I insuring this house for enough? It creates this whole process and it creates risk for the customer. We, by contrast, are the only one out there who has gotten rid of that concept where permissible by state regulation. And what we do instead is say, we behind the scenes will estimate what we think it would cost to replace your home. You don't need to guess that as a customer or as an agent. We'll guarantee every home up to $5 million um, if it should come to that. And so what that does is it creates a lot of, it takes a lot of burden of process at the front of the sales process. It also is better coverage. Um, it makes it faster for the agent. And finally, it takes risk off the customer. And frankly, the agent, if there is a claim uh, that they might not have enough coverage or the agent might you know, not have sold them enough coverage, essentially. So it's hitting all those three, the, the better coverage, ease of use, and it actually leads to more accurate pricing as well, because behind the scenes, we can price the home based on all its constituent parts instead of just one single number of what would it cost to sort of if this house did burn down. So that's just one example. We've done, you know, 20 things like that that make this a better product that's better coverage, faster and more predictive for the, the customers and agents. And it's it's going really well. I would say it's it's they're adopting it really rapidly. Good stuff. Good stuff. And I know we've discussed before my former life as a as an insurance agent as an insurance broker myself, the amount of customers that we insured and that we advised who didn't know the rebuild value of their house or rebuild value of their property if it's commercial property. And I think it's a real minefield. Do you have any stats at all about how many people might be underinsured or overinsured at all when they're trying to value it them, themselves? Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think most people technically are underinsured and there's lots mm. of ways that occurs. If you just were to look at like the rebuild cost of the home, it's still most, right? But also a lot of people don't have umbrella insurance policies mm. or you know other important coverage. But let's just say just for the house burning down, certainly on average, when we when we look at it, our model would say that, you know, a lot of people their data is stale. Basically, they bought the house. And so on average, people are probably 10 to 20%. You know, mm -hmm. it really varies by geography, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But then that's that's the average. And then you've got this bell curve around that, right? So you've got a lot of people who are really stale. And you've got a lot, you probably have, you know, 25% of the market that's overinsured because they're being super cautious. And, and it, you sort of don't want to put the customer in that position where they, they have to guess, do I want to be really, really conservative and drastically overpay? Or do I want to take this risk that I'm underinsured? So anyway, short answer to your question, I would guess certainly the majority probably a substantial majority are underserved technically. There are some yeah. policy features that others have that protect people. As long as they're making a good faith effort, they protect them up mm -hmm. to a certain point. They might give them 20% buffer or something, but mm -hmm. I think we really have the king of 
products in the sense that you don't even have to worry about it. That, that's just such a great benefit as well because it allows people to sleep at night. So, you know, if they do have that awful incident where, you know, where their house is burning down and there's a huge, huge claim, they've just got that peace of mind immediately that they're, that they're not underinsured and they don't think, hang on a minute, what figures did I put down? <laughs> put down? You know, are we going to actually be insured properly or, or, or not? So I, I think that's fantastic. Ty, you said that you're operating in 16 states now. You've already grown very, very quickly over the last couple of years. What's been the biggest challenge you've faced so far? And, and what do you see as the, the big challenges as you scale and, and grow going ahead? Yeah, and I realized I misspoke. We actually soft launched uh, uh, our 17th state yesterday. I think we're going to wow. uh, try it with a few trial agents, but we're really excited. We, we just soft launched in, in Georgia. But the challenges we have faced go back to a little bit of what I was describing before, where we there's you can't let one part of the business get too far ahead of the others. And, and frankly, I think this is just an insure tech challenge in general. Like you, you may be selling uh, you know, a ridiculous amount in a particular state, but if that state gets ahead of all the other states, then you might find yourself under diversified and you know suddenly the catastrophe risk to your book is that's one example another just selling a lot even everywhere you might get ahead of where your reinsurance panel is and are they comfortable with that level of growth and and whatnot or you know you might get you might run ahead of your operational capabilities and not be able to have a claims operation that's able to keep up and to to meet your customers needs if there's a so that to me is you know the fact that you have to keep all of these parts in sync in some sense. And then also that there's high consequences. This isn't like, you know, if you fail, somebody, you know, can't play a game for an hour or something. This is really high consequence stuff. So there's no room to just screw up and not be there for your customers. And, you know, there's regulation and whatnot in, in, in place that really helps protect customers from that, fortunately. But that's that's been the hard part. And it's, it's as a, as a founder, the, the challenge that then translates to is you have to be able to convince all these different parties that you have to work with that they're all going to be able to work together and that you're not like ahead in one part. So to get funding, you need reinsurance, but to get reinsurance, you need funding and to have claims people want to work with you, you need both. And so it's sort of like, you know, getting everyone at the same time to the, the starting line um, and, and to the growth line has been really the challenge. And do you think that's a, a challenge that is faced by technology businesses within a regulated environment or, or within a risk environment? I mean, you know, a lot of technology, pure technology businesses, I suppose, you know, they wouldn't have those issues to contend with. They just grow and grow and grow. Uh, is that something that you see very much yeah, across risk and insurance that, that, that is growing, bringing things I, I think up? It, yeah, certainly I think it's partly due to the regulation, but I, I think mm -hmm. part of it is also what are you going after? So we have made the choice to be a, a kind of a full challenger as an insurance company, right? So we, we're saying we're going to do most of the things that a, a big, huge, 100-year-old insurance company does just better. That's one model to attack with the entire vertical stack in some sense. And you know, these days, there's lots of you know, API-able services that you can use. So you don't literally have to build every single component, but you have, you have to bring it all to the table. I, it might be a little bit different for someone who's bring, building a little horizontal. That might be a, a lighter touch. So, hey, I'm building just you know, a claims fraud detection tool and it's going to be amazing. And I'm going to sell that little horizontal to 200 insurance companies. I, that's still hard. I'm not discounting that at all, but I think you may, you may run into a little bit less of the like, have to do a hundred things at once to get to market. And there's advantages to both, right? You know, we there's there's a moat behind us in some sense, and they have a moat behind them in some sense. Yeah, the exposures aren't the same. That's brilliant. That that brings us nicely onto the espresso round, actually, where the questions are short, sharp, and straight to the point. So I know you both like a, a strong cup of coffee in the morning. You ready for the espresso round? I only had the first one, so I don't know, but like we'll we'll, we'll try. <laughs> fully caffeinated here. 
Bully Cafe, great stuff, great stuff. The Espresso Round. So going forward over the next 12 months, how many people are you looking to add to the business over, over this next year? Roughly 100. So we're at about 170 people now. We expect to be high 200s a year from now. And that's across technology, insurance expertise, customer service focused, a broad array of, of folks we'd like to hire. Right. As, as Ty says, we need to make sure that the business, every part of the business grows in lockstep. Yeah. Yeah. So big, big growth plans. What are the cultural values though that you're looking to build as, as you do bring in lots of people into the business? Nick, I love this question because values are something that we talk about all the time. Our values are on our website, whether it's curiosity, teamwork, integrity, empathy, urgency. These are things we look for when we start to even think about hiring someone. So we work questions about culture and values into our interviews. We do a lot of passive candidate cultivation. So we're not just relying on people who are sending in their CVs to us. We are actively going out. On day one of onboarding, we talk about the values. And on an ongoing basis, we have in our Slack channel, a in our Slack system, we have a channel called Kudos, where people call out their colleagues for help that has been given. And people will put a hashtag and one of the, the values. And if you ever need a dopamine hit, go to read the Kudos channel and you realize that this is a really special, special organization. We say that we like to wait for great during our recruiting process. And you know, we understand that the cost of sort of a poor hire is actually much greater than waiting an extra X amount of time to find a real cultural ad, a cultural fit. In our performance management system, we like to distinguish between somebody who's a high achiever and a high performer. Because somebody who achieves goals or hits milestones but leaves a blast radius is actually not a true high performer. So Fantastic. And I, I think all those values are, are, are superb and are integral to a successful business. How do you maintain those values when you're looking to build and grow the business so quickly. How do, you, how do you maintain that in the in the infrastructure, in the cultural infrastructure? You know, as Ty says, you're looking to bring in a hundred people over the next year almost, you know, that's over 50% of the headcount of where you are now. How do you go about doing that? Another another fantastic question. First, I think it starts from the top. And when I came into the organization about five months ago, when I talked to colleagues and, and leaders about what they wanted to see from people operations, um, that was at the top of mind. So you have a leadership team that is really interested in maintaining culture. Um, so the culture has to rise at the same time that our, our headcount is rising. You know, culture is going to happen. So you need to be in, intentional about it. And we are rolling out a lot of training for managers, right? People managers are really the point of leverage where when you're trying to maintain and scale uh, a culture, I mean, you can't, I like to talk about cultural evolution rather than cultural change because change seems a little bit random, whereas evolution has the connotation of the things that make you strongest or what 
are carried carried forward. So we're focused on managers, making sure that managers understand that they should focus on what's important to each of their individual employees and make sure that, especially in a remote environment, that people are not burning out. It brings me on to my next question fantastically, actually, Marcelo. What are the challenges and what are those opportunities with remote working? You know, you're in 16, 17 states now, <laughs> fresh from this recording, latest news in 17 states. What, what, what are some of the challenges with remote working and, and what are some of the opportunities that you have as a business? Well, we actually think that remote work is an enormous asset to us. And we may... Uh, write insurance in 17 states, but we have employees in 37 states. Wow. And the company was founded as a remote first organization. So we haven't had to go through and modify or change or create some sort of hybrid situation. When the pandemic hit and a lot of people went remote for the first time and discovered that they liked it, then our ability to recruit talent went way up because suddenly there were a lot of people who said, I don't want to go back into an office. So while we need to invest in platforms that create opportunities for communication, overall, it's a real net benefit. We can attract talent and hire the very best people anywhere in the United States. And you've been in a great position there having been a, a work from home or working remotely business prior to that pandemic. So, so some of those people, when you bring them from the insurance industry, might have thought, can I can I work in that environment? Am I going to excel working from home? But actually when they've then had six months working from home caused by the pandemic, they realized that they can succeed in that environment. So I'm, I'm sure that gives a, a lot of benefit to you there. When you're looking to bring people to business, clearly as a as a disruptor to the home insurance market, what value can be brought in from a traditional insurance career? Maybe someone who, who's worked at a legacy insurer for a long time. What's some of the value that those types of people can bring to your organization? Yeah, I mean, look, I think a lot of the early insure tech challengers maybe underestimated the, the, the insurance part of the equation and what it takes to, to succeed. They are amazing at the technology and the marketing, et cetera. And I think what we're trying to do is be really balanced about that and not to have really hubris in either direction to say, oh, a bunch of insurance people can build amazing technology or, oh, a bunch of technology people can just figure out insurance in three days. Neither of those is true. You know, having been someone who, who worked at a truly amazing giant insurance company for years, I think, you know, I, I think everyone who's had that experience, no matter how amazing it is, will also have had the experience of thinking, hey, there's a lot of things that are, that one could improve in this, in this world of insurance. And there's just limited resources and ability to do that. There's heavy risk involved with a big incumbent carrier making bold moves. You know, the coverage changes I was talking about earlier, it would be very difficult on many fronts for a big incumbent to like make that as a, a move with their billions of dollars of premium, just see if it works, you know? So I think what um, someone can contribute is bringing all that, those years of building up in their mind, hey, what's wrong with this world of insurance? And not because of bad intentions, but just that could be fixed. And hey, now I'm going to go somewhere where there's you know 100 or 200 employees instead of you know 40,000, and I'm going to be able to really make a difference and improve by you know because the just the net the stuff you can do when you're one of you know a few hundred people is just much greater in terms of the impact and your ability to bend the trajectory of the company. So the wisdom is in there; it just needs to be unlocked. And I hope that we're able to unlock it for the right type of insurance expert who who wants to uh, unlock it. 
Yeah, fantastic. I, th- I think you make a great point there that those insurance executives, those insurance professionals at legacy, at the incumbent practices or at those organizations, they do understand some of the flaws. They do understand some of the problems, some of the issues that are there. They, they don't just have their head in the sand. They they understand what is really happening out there. And so they they can, you know, they're working on solutions. They've got ideas for solutions and, and certainly can be a benefit. If there are any executives or co-founders of insurtech businesses out there at the moment who are looking to scale and grow their business quickly, like, like you guys have, what foundations or infrastructure would you say are essential to achieving that scale? Yeah, I think there's probably two things. One of them I alluded to a second ago, which is basically make sure you really are balanced as insurance and technology, right? The, the word, you don't have parts of two words for no reason, right? You need, you need the, both types of expertise and just make sure you really are doing that. Um, cult, the, in terms of the cultural, the, the technology development processes you use, make sure they're not like old insurance world stuff and, and you know, et cetera. Um, and then the other piece I think is build with long-term relationships in mind, because no matter how much you build, you still are going to be reliant on people who've been doing this for a hundred years as long-term partners, uh, right? Uh, reinsurers or claims partners or payment, you know, whatever it is, regulators. So just don't, you know, it, it can be tempting to think, oh, I'm just going to scale as quickly as possible and do things that are going to get me to three years to IPO, whatever. And if you have that attitude, I think you'll you'll come really close to the finish line and then fall a little bit short. Uh, whereas I think you need to, to make sure that what you're doing works for all these different partners in your ecosystem, the agents, the reinsurers, the other partners, et cetera. And if anything to add in them, Marcella? To bring the people lens to it, I would say invest in your people as you are, um, you know, as you're building the rest of the business, think about building your people so that the individuals that you hire in the first three years are the ones who are going to be with you in the next three and the next three. Nothing is more disruptive than having to, um, uh, you know, rehire for key roles because you didn't think about that and focus on the culture. That is something that Ty and the executive team that he's brought together have really done an exceptional job of. And it starts from the top. Yeah, it certainly does. Certainly starts from the top. Thank you, guys. We've almost reached the end of our time today in the insurance coffee house. Before we go, though, do you do you each have one piece of closing advice for our listeners? Maybe someone who's looking to launch an insure tech or to join an insure tech business. Uh, what would your closing advice be for them? And how would they go about reaching out to you after the show? Well, in terms of launching, I don't. One, if you want to do it, do it. It's 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 very rewarding and a whole lot of fun. But do not underestimate how hard it is. There, I tell you what, there the moments um, of doubt and despair are not uh, you know few and far between, uh, especially in the early days. And uh, you know, toward that end, the, the practical thing you can do, I think, is to surround yourself with other people who have been in a similar situation. You know, we went through Techstars, the program in Boston early on, and that was really beneficial because we're around 10 other companies that are going through this that are feeling the ups and downs. And are we going to have a business tomorrow or not? And if you're trying to do it all alone without, you know, a great co-founder and without support like that, it's really tough. But it's, you know, if, if you can do it, it's, it's it's really rewarding. So in terms of people who may be interested in a career at Openly or learning more about us, please subscribe to our page on LinkedIn. Our website is Openly. Dot com, where we have a full career site. You can read some biographies of current employees as well as look at our openings. Be patient, continue to check back often. And um, you can always send me a message directly via LinkedIn. I am always happy to talk to interested talent. 
Awesome. Thank you so much. And we'll be sure to post those links to the website and also your, your personal LinkedIn profiles there so people can just click and reach, reach straight out to you when they're listening to the show today. Ty, Marcella, thank you so much for your time today. Really enjoyed having you at the Insurance Coffee House. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Really enjoyed the conversation as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, guys. And um, yeah, to all the insurance and insure tech leaders out there, wherever you're listening around the world, I'm sure you would have gained some valuable insights and advice from what Ty and Marcella have had to say today. If you did enjoy the show, please remember to download and subscribe to the pod to receive each one of our episodes directly into your app each week. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, or I'd like to learn more about the competitive advantage that podcasts can give to your business when attracting talent please reach out to us at insurance-search.com or drop us a message on LinkedIn. Until next time, I've been Nick Hoadley. This has been the Insurance Coffee House Global InsureTech Series. Take care. You've been listening to the Insurance Coffee House with Nick Hoadley. Join us next time to hear more insights and inspiring success stories to help you become a better insurance business leader. Available to download or subscribe now.